Karthik and Ben Hoops, where ball is always life. I'm your host, Karthik, here with my co-host, Nithin. What's good, Nithin? Yo, it's good to be back. I saw you held down the fort, uh, you and Nahal last week. I liked I liked the I liked the cold open Rosillo style, just pontificating uninterrupted for ten minutes. How hard was that to do? It was uh, it was a bit hard. Um, stumbled on my words a little bit, but it felt good. It felt good to get my thoughts out there uninterrupted. You not there to check me. You know, there, there's like a sense of power you get when you when you're on the mic by yourself. So that was kind of nice. You could have talked about anything. You could have talked about LeBron, the Kings, the Bucks, but you went with uh, Johnny Juzang and, um, you know, Jalen Suggs for the most part. So I, I didn't want to lean in too hard into my, like, Shannon Sharp personality and go full LeBron. <laughs> you um, should have so wore the goat head on camera like, and then start. we started our YouTube series then. Yeah, so I, I figured I wouldn't spew too much propaganda. I'd, I'd play it kind of close, but... But yeah, man, we missed you last week. Tell the tell the listeners where you're at. So I was in New York. Uh, that's also the uh, reason for why my voice is so raspy right now. I think I, I contracted. I want to say it's a sinus infection. I'm like 45% sure it's not COVID. <laughs> but, you know, in this day and age, uh, if you laugh, uh, sorry, sneeze on an airplane, it's punishable by death. Um, so I've been trying to keep it low this week, you know, just, just rest up, get the Advil cold and sinus working. But I actually get my second dose on Saturday, so I'm very nearly invincible again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I just got my first one a couple of days ago. So which one did you get? Is, I got Pfizer. Did you feel anything? No, nah, it was the first one, so nothing. But yeah, the end is in sight, man. That's like it, it felt so good because it's like now I have got a timeline. You know, three more weeks. Yeah, and most people are kind of getting their second dose right about now, so. We're all going to well, be good. New York somewhere. was crazy, right? Because like, I kind of think it was the first nice weather weekend they've had, um, yep. you know, in the 60s, sunny, that type of thing. And New York's a city that already, you know, it's got the you know number one or number two spring slash summer season along with Chicago. And so they're just waiting to get out there. And the other thing is that city has got some PTSD, right, for being kind of mm-hmm. the epicenter for early COVID yep. days. And so I feel like they've taken more precaution than most major cities, maybe except for, you know, San Francisco where you live and then LA. Um, and so these guys are ready to get back to it. Let's just say that and, and leave it there. <laughs> I can only imagine, man. It must have been popping last weekend. And it's it only going to get crazier as my Memorial wallet is now popping. My <laughs> wallet and my Venmo account is now yeah, popping you, in the you reverse direction. How much these types of weekends cost, right? Um, yeah, we've been saving for 13 months, and all of a yeah. sudden I'd spent every dollar that I had to my name. <laughs> Yeah, Trader Joe's has replaced Bottle Blonde as like the yeah. most recurring line item on your receipts. But honestly, we follow uh, Instagram accounts now that are strictly driven by Trader Joe's product lines. <laughs> and that's literally like, okay, what's the newest drop? Like, where should we get the fried ravioli this time? Should we Dude, get the it's tempura exciting. cauliflower? It's bad. It's exciting I, when I'm you see something new. <laughs> I'm embarrassed, frankly, but I'm also like always leaning into it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't think I can disagree with you there. But all right. So this week, so I miss you guys. You guys bounced around the league. You bounced around the playoff picture. Uh, the Lakers check in. I like the Nahal's not really worried because I feel like the <laughs> dial should be turned up a little bit. But we do have to start uh, very sadly with Jamal Murray's ACL tear. I think it was that Monday night versus uh, versus the Warriors. They were, they were losing, and it was at the end of the game, and he had just gotten back from a knee injury, actually, on the other leg. 
it was clear uh, the second you saw it uh, when he planted non-contact. We've seen that a thousand times. Um, obviously feel terrible for him, right? Uh, that goes without saying. I think the timing of the injury couldn't have been worse because it effectively knocks the Nuggets out as a title contender for two seasons, which is yep. really the worst case scenario you can have um, in this type of situation. It was very similar to the Derrick Rose injury where he missed the rest of that year and then the following year. Jamal Murray is going to come damn near close, and that, that just sucks for a team that felt like, you know, if the chips fell correctly, they could really win the title this season alone. Yeah, there are a lot of what-if moments in the NBA. I think we're going to look back on this five, ten years from now as a what-if moment for the Nuggets. Because like you said, they lose two seasons. And what we've learned about the NBA today is that your contending window is smaller than it's ever been because teams are constantly retooling. You know, before you know it, like Katie and Durant have Harden on their team, and then next year there'll be another team that forms. Yeah. And Denver, this looked, they looked poised to kind of make a, a strong run this year or next year with the addition of Aaron Gordon, with their, they're playing their best ball that they have in um, even the last couple seasons, like the stretch they've had before the Warriors game, they were what, 7 0? Yeah. Um, they had won, I think they had won like 17 of 20 or two, something like that, too. Something yeah, crazy. So clicking on all cylinders. And so I, I feel bad for him. But, you know, in terms of Jamal Murray, the, the player, he'll bounce back. We see players bounce back from ACL injuries all the time. He's yeah. 23, 24. Yeah. Um, so he'll be fine. But it's just, it's a, it just sucks for Nuggets, Nuggets fans because yeah. their window looks like it might be shot. Well, especially this year where there's going to be another semi-compressed offseason so they can get back on schedule. April right now, you know, we he he tears his ACL. There's still four, four or five weeks left in the regular season. April 15th, you know, today's date is usually the start of round one. Um, so best case scenario, you know, the fastest ACL recoveries we see are generally in the nine to 10 month range, um, which would mean he's back at the All-Star break. I don't think that they're going to rush him back from this, right? Because they yeah. cannot afford another, uh, another injury to him. Assuming Jokic is Jokic and Michael Porter Jr. takes another step, Aaron Gordon, they'll make the playoffs next year. I'm not worried about that, but you're going to try to integrate your second best player coming into the playoffs, you know, and expect him to produce. It's going to be a tough situation. So that's why I really think it's a two year injury in terms of the Nuggets uh, timeline. But like you said, the window is short because by the end of next year, now Michael Porter is on a max deal. Now Aaron Gordon has expired as an unrestricted free agent. So how do you bring that nucleus back in a way that's affordable? And, you know, I agree Murray's game is not necessarily predicated on extreme athleticism, but he does have a little bit of that herky-jerky, you know, pick and roll kind of like that smooth in and out type um, attacking the basket. So, you know, this is not an injury that's a that this, that's the same type of dead sentence it was several years ago, but... You never know with these things because there's guys that even in recent times have not looked the same. Hopefully he gets a Zach Levine type recovery who almost looked like he had more bounce post post injury. So that's all we can hope. It's just it's just shitty, man. And, you know, the other thing that a lot of people are talking about is, is this a result of the compressed schedule this year where they're playing, you know, I think an average of like 3.6 games a week. And that's the highest in, in several years. What do you think about that? You think this is just honestly bad luck or anything further to it that we need to think about. I've also read that the number of injuries we've had this season is actually in line with previous seasons. So it's not Mm -hmm. more that being said, I feel like 
it feels like more prominent players are going down. It feels like it is taking a toll on players. And and you know what? There could be more injuries if teams weren't. You see a lot of teams now resting players. Um, they they get hit with the questionable tag, and before when you could kind of expect them to play, they're a last minute scratch. I mean, we know that because just from a betting standpoint, that's changed a lot of things. Um, Dude, I bet the sorry, just to stop, I bet the yeah. Clippers over the Pistons. I do that money line parlay thing, and like honestly, it blew up in my face. But I didn't realize all five of the Clippers starters were out versus the Pistons, and. And then I look and Reggie Jackson has 29 and hits the game winner. I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck? Like, are they, like, we need a direct notification to my brain when this kind of stuff happens. It, yeah, it, it happens like so suddenly and you, you can never keep track of who's sitting out or who's not. And, and I think it hurts the teams like Denver who are, they struggled early in the season and they're pushing hard mm-hmm. because they need to make, you know, get a higher seed. It's important. And so obviously you have Jokic, Murray playing big minutes night after night. It catches up to you. And that's how freak injuries happen. And other teams are, are seeing similar things happen. And not every team can afford to do what the Clippers do or the Bucks do, where, you know, sometimes they rest Giannis all of a sudden. And and that'd be, I think they do have a problem because players are talking about this now. Like Josh yeah. Hart tweeted about it. Other players are being vocal about it, that this is just too compressed of a timeline. And I think, I think they made a mistake in trying to fit 72 games into the schedule. Well, I, I think there's a couple things, right? So there, so the reality is there was nine months off for eight teams out of the league, right? That didn't yep. play since March. Then you had the second subset, the, the eight that didn't make the bubble playoffs or the six that didn't make the bubble playoffs. And they've had since July off, basically. And then it goes on and on. It's really when you're talking about compressed schedules, the top four had way, way less than others. And then you'd say the top eight, you know, those extra four had a little bit less than normal. So if you look at that, there are some injuries amongst those teams. We just saw it with Jamal Murray on the Nuggets. We've seen it with AD and LeBron and the Lakers. The Heat have battled injuries all year. The Celtics have had guys in and out of the lineup. Some of that's COVID-related, which was unavoidable. Some of that is wear and tear. But by and large, like you just like you just quoted, like a lot of it is luck and who's gotten hurt. Like you would never wish injury upon anybody, but if you're the league and you have to pick somebody to not get hurt, guess what? LeBron James is number one on that list, yeah. right? And the fact that it was him and AD and Durant and, and Harden and like, I don't know. I think if the injury uh, frequency is the same, the data would suggest that it's really just a chance happenstance that it's who got hurt. But you could also argue that the guys who are getting hurt are the ones who are playing heavy minutes. And it is more of a result of wear and tear versus typical injuries, which are more just like he rolled an ankle or is a freak freak situation. You know what I mean? Like a soft tissue injury or even like what AD has with the sore Achilles, that is a function of too much uh, wear and tear and too much stress on the body. And so you, you could argue that. And then the other thing is because the league was not – expecting to start until January or February, the ramp up with their bodies and the conditioning and like getting the strength and, and, and program running took them normally takes them a lot longer than they had in this instance. And I think that could be a big factor as well. I mean, that, that you hit the nail on the head. That's why some of these teams, even if they had an extended period of time off, it, the season was rushed to start and yeah. it's rushed to start. And then all of a sudden you're playing heavy minutes, logging, you know, four games and, in five days. And I think that all adds up. Yeah. I, it, and you know what, like, even though the injuries might be the same in terms of the number compared to last year, there might be more of these soft tissue injuries or these injuries due to wear and tear, right? That proportion could look different. So I don't know. I I haven't looked at all the data, but I think, I do think this is not just a, 
something, you know, an issue we're creating out of nothing. I do think that there is a consequence for this schedule. Well, I think that the, you know, what it is. So you talked about maybe they shouldn't have tried for the 72 games. I think one of the things that I'm getting a little annoyed by in online chatter is this blame towards the league. Uh, Like they are some type of like authoritarian government forcing the players onto the court. Like it's, an equity partnership. I've talked about this a lot of times, but neither the players nor the owners were interested in shortening the season, canceling the season, delaying the season. Ultimately, individual guys, I'm sure, would have wanted to start at MLK Day or would have wanted to start in February. But the reality is, like, the TV contracts drive the majority of the revenue for the league, especially when you're not going to have fans for all or most of the season. And so if these guys want their 35 to $40 million dollars, then they have to play. And they understood that. And they said, okay, we know the risks with COVID and with this compressed schedule. We're going to take that risk because we understand that it's financially lucrative to us too. This isn't like a nine to five, you're W2'd and therefore like it is what it is. Like it's fluctuating based on the revenue that the league generates. And so the one thing I would say that you could argue that they should have done is just not tried to finish by July because they wanted to get NBA people to the Olympics. They wanted to avoid fighting against football for a second straight year and getting massacred. I think they should have delayed this until mid-August because you're still not going against regular season NFL and it allows for a more normal schedule. They just weren't interested in doing that because they didn't want another really, really short offseason to start in October. So that's ultimately what happened, right? And so it's a, it's it's really like a lesser of two evils. Um, and you know, the idea that like, oh, we're prioritizing money over players' health and that's wrong. The players prioritize money over their own health. They agreed to the season for that reason. Yeah, fine. Play 72 games, but you can, like you said, you can go into August. And and you're not, look, when if, if you're reducing the season down to, you know, the, the timeline that they have and putting 72 games in, not only are the players getting injured, you're also hurting the product because there are teams like Philly – uh, versus Brooklyn on on Wednesday, yeah, matchup of the year. Um, in in terms of the Eastern Conference, everyone excited to see that. <laughs> what does Brooklyn do? Uh, Harden and KD both sit, and Kyrie plays right. And, and this was a conscious decision to sit KD. Um, and he played the game before, and so you start having a lot of these games where you're sit. These stars are sitting, and the product that looks just worse. And of these marquee games that you're showcasing on TV you have these matchups that you can't even uh, build up on ESPN. So I think it's hurting the product and it's hurting the players. That itself is makes it worth to find. You take a hit ratings wise a little bit going into August, the Olympics fine, but you don't have to contend with the NFL. It's not going to be like last year, just stretch it a couple more weeks and you can get rid of so many back-to-backs. But they also, they're also trying to not do what they did this year, which is give players a two-month offseason. Like, in a normal season, you report to training camp early September. Then you start preseason, end of September, early October, play like four or five games, and then you start the regular season mid-October. So if you go the route of moving to August, what are you going to deal with? You're still going to have like an incredibly shortened preseason or you have to sorry offseason or then you have to stay okay we're going to not start till christmas again and then you're back into the same predicament they had to figure out how to break the cycle but you know you mentioned it though teams are very diligent about load managing they're very uh conservative brad stevens came out yesterday and said hey we're not gonna sacrifice player health for uh, our playoff seed they don't really care playoff you know home court advantage isn't what it is we know this so 
Yes, if if the end of the day, the thing that has to be sacrificed is that the Brooklyn Nets don't have their full complement of guys on national TV. Isn't that okay? Like, why aren't more teams taking an even more aggressive stance to load managing? Like, why has Jokic played so many games this season? Or Luka? Because they need to. Those teams need those guys to play, to stay in the playoffs. Right, but you have to pick something, right? So you have to say, you have to take your hit somewhere. Yeah, but the answer can't be, oh, just sit your stars, and then your regular season product is going to suck. Like, what, what's the point in telling everyone, oh, just sit more games? Because I think ultimately I think the, point, the point of this season is to just be like, let's fucking get to the playoffs. Let's not worry about anything, and let's get back on track for 21-22 when you know you're going to have full stadiums and you know it's going to be the normal version of basketball. This is a bridge season between a weird-as-hell bubble year Pandemic still going on, right? Vaccines just taking shape right now. It was never going to be normal. You have to accept that and figure out how do we just get out of this thing unscathed. And I don't know that they've like teams are necessarily like Damian Lillard plays every night. Yes, I know Portland's been decimated by injuries, so he kind of has to. But if Portland's going to be in the playing game, they're just going to be in the playing game. Like I don't know. It, it feels weird that we're saying, "Hey, guys shouldn't rest," but then they're playing too much. But then they want more time off but they want all their money like it has some at some point you have to compromise in some form or fashion and i'm not seeing what the compromise is because if you play into august you're going to run into the same problem you did this offseason the the compromise is just better planning they should have cut a couple games like you said this is a bridge season make an exception cut some games i know you have tv contracts figure out other things to do right to, to make the sell like, top also, shots you can also get more money just from the play in tournament like you can make that into like a another revenue generating thing right you could uh, make tweaks that don't have to just play out a, a 72 game season one thing i'm interested in is you know the 2012 2011 2012 was a short end lockout season it started in december ended in June and it was 66 games. I'm trying to remember back then where there was there a lot of talk around teams facing too many back-to-backs and did we see some of the yeah, same issues? Yeah, we did. This is remember it culminated with the with the uh there was a bunch of injuries that year. Rose was I think the year after, but there was a bunch of issues. Dude, they were playing back-to-back-to-backs like three straight yeah. nights back then. They were playing four games in five nights. Like they've they've since got ridden a lot of that. Even in this type of year, it was yeah, not it was three then. games in a row. Yeah I, yeah, I don't remember exactly, but like, see, there's a precedent too, and they they should have learned from that experience. Um, if it really was that bad, but clearly they did. I I don't know. Maybe maybe the solution is just like like you said, take your losses, figure it out, get through this year in one piece, and then and then restart. But. It's a business, right? At the end of the day, it's a business. Um, for a lot of the reasons we've talked about over the last two years, we've had this podcast. There's business decisions made, and this is one of them. I was just saying I don't like that it's only thought of as like the league and Adam Silver somehow like ruling on 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 all these ideas versus the players being an active participant. This isn't like the NFL. Like the players have a lot more leverage here. That's fair. That's fair. Um. All right, let's talk about the actual season. Um, so I wanted to start at, in, in the East, right? So you just mentioned Philly and Brooklyn. Uh, they faced off last night. Embiid went to work on DeAndre Jordan. That was that was pretty ugly. Um, of course, Nets didn't have their two best players, Harden and, 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 Durant, and Durant. And so let's start here. Do you have any concerns at all about Brooklyn? Um, 
in terms of their continuity, in terms of the fact that they've had basically zero minutes with their their intended starting five. LaMarcus Aldridge just retired today. I know he wasn't a focal point, but he even started a couple of games this season, so he was getting active burn. Like, you know, what, you, you guys talked about the Lakers last week and, and, and like, stress level. What would you attribute your stress level to the to the Nets on a 1-10 to 10 if, you, if, you, if the goal was winning a championship? Two. I'm not worried about the Nets at all. I think they'll figure it out. I think they've got a straight ticket to the finals. I think they have a straight ticket what? to the middle. Absolutely. Okay, tell me what team in the East scares you. You think Milwaukee? I think Philadelphia East? does. I think Philadelphia legitimately yeah, does. Yeah. And you look at the, the big man matchup and Embiid and who's going to guard Embiid, Jordan. You're going to play Claxton big minutes. You know, you can't throw Blake out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fine. Embiid is going to put Claxton in a lunchbox and send him to third grade. Like, that's over. Yeah, but what about KD? Like, I think the Brooklyn's ben Simmons. Play. Yeah, you have Simmons, you have Ty- Tybal, but then who else is like? You Danny still have Green. Harden, Kyrie, and Durant. Danny, Danny Green. Green. You think Danny Green stopping anyone? Look, I love Philly. I picked them before the season started. I, I just don't see how you're beating a team like Brooklyn in seven games with that firepower. I don't think Embiid, as as good as he is, uh, and as much as he's going to carry that offensive load in that series defensively i still don't think that they have enough to stop brooklyn i don't think anyone does why why is milwaukee a no i i don't trust Giannis still i don't trust it i watched him tonight versus atlanta and he got into the mid post and uh he was being kind of guarded pretty pretty tough by solomon hill who actually was doing decently against him and he fades away and it's just an air ball long <laughs> and i was like fuck i was trying to defend this guy on the pod tonight you you can tell me all about Milwaukee and the pick and roll action with Drew Holiday and how that's his best kind of running mate he's had in this entire Milwaukee tenure and how that's actually going to unlock a lot for that offense. Yeah, I'm sure I believe all that. But I still think that in a seven-game series, teams will find the fix for, for how to stop that. And then you, once again, have to rely on Giannis doing something in the mid-range, being able to create his own shot that's not at the rim. And I, until I see it, I'm not going to believe it. Why can't, why can't they play him more like, uh, and I can't even believe I'm saying this. He's two-time MVP. I'm pretty sure they know what they're doing with him. But why can't he play like Zion? Right? I was thinking the exact same thing, where they put him out at the point and let him just kind of... <laughs> just run people over. But Zion, I mean, this is off topic, but he's so adept at getting out of the way so he's not you know he's not charging over guys like as powerful as he is he's that much of finesse as well and I think Giannis is missing a little bit of that finesse he makes up for it with his insane length but he can't slide by guys the way Zion can so when you do build a wall you end up getting a lot of charges a lot of turnovers because he doesn't know how to get around guys as smartly as zion does which zion's uh, sorry Giannis is lanky too right you have to watch the elbows you have to you're just taking up more space from like a width perspective and so it's easier to draw some of those charges i don't know how zion does it honestly Um, it's crazy because it's not like his strength is oh he he drives in is able to kick it out and you have to kind of play off him a little bit to you know because he's going to find a corner shooter it has nothing to do with that. It's just his low center of gravity, and he's shifty enough that you can't just set yourself up for a charge. Um, yeah, and he's crafty enough around the hoop. I still don't think uh, that that last point is super important. He is incredibly gifted at the rim. Like his touch on layups, he can be going full force, spin move, be having like no angle at the basket, but he's somehow able to lay it up in a way that 
is softly against the rim, uh, yeah, know, off and, the backboard. And Giannis's at the rim game is still more bully ball than it mm-hmm. is finesse, and I think that's what separates them. Uh, okay, so my second question then is why can't Giannis be played more like a combo of Shaq and DeAndre Jordan, where he's a role man on the pick and roll, right? He doesn't have the ball at the top, or he posts up and goes to work, and when they double down, he kicks out to one of his shooters. I don't think Giannis has a great post-up game either. He doesn't have a lot of moves, like, but I think his strength and his positioning can get him down low enough such that it's going to suck the defense. And he's not Shaq where he's going to drop step baby hook you for sure. Yeah, yeah. no one is like, like Shaq is such an underrated, not underrated, he's recognized for it, but his post-game and his footwork was at another level, right? People forget about that with his strength. Giannis, I, he doesn't have that touch. And... And I've seen situations in the playoffs where they have tried to do that. They try to go after a mismatch, and you send a double, and you can strip the ball. He's he gets a little clumsy with it. He doesn't. I don't know, man. I I haven't seen it yet. It sounds like it theoretically he should do that every time. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, because he's just devastating. I don't know. It's one of those things that like Ben Simmons is a lesser version of this, but when you slow it down and you you say, "Hey, go score in the half court." Yeah, it's like oh shit it gets harder what comes next you know (laughs) um but anyway sorry we were talking brooklyn first of all shout out to lamarcus aldridge man seven-time all-star five-time all-nba you know i'm glad that he got out before something more serious happened i think everybody probably feels that way yeah um very underrated uh you know the list of guys who have made five all-nbas since 2010-11 it's like him and the eight biggest stars in the league um, and you just don't give him that same credit. It's like Durant, Kawhi, Russ, LeBron, Harden, Paul George, Dame Lillard, Steph Curry, and him. It's crazy. But yeah. is he a Hall of Famer? Ooh. We got to have that debate because that's what comes whenever anybody Ooh. retires. Uh, I don't know. I have, to, I have to look at where he stands in terms of all-time rankings and a lot of the stats. Yeah. The counting stats, I mean, clearly he has a great resume. The five All-NBAs obviously helps him a lot. The, the problem with him is the reason he's not remembered as well is because a lot of those Portland teams disappointed. They were fine. And not disappointed. Not they were disappointed. Like, okay. No, no, not disappointed in that they like had a collapse in the playoffs or anything like that. But there was so much promise with the Brandon Roy era. There was so much promise with even the Dame and LaMarcus era. Even Greg Oden before the, that. Yeah, like Brandon Roy, Greg Odin, um, what, Nick Batum was on that team? Yeah, Wes Matthews. Those teams were pretty good. Yeah. Well, Wes Matthews came later with Dame, and yeah. No, but there were a lot, look, Rudy Fernandez back in the day. There were a lot of iterations (laughs) of that Portland team that, you know, every year it looked like they've they've got a lot of talent, but they just never um, did much with it. And then, you know, the, the unfortunate thing for LaMarcus was that he was always overshadowed by a bigger a guard that was kind of flashy and had a bigger personality. Mm-hmm. Brandon Roy was an exciting player to watch. Yeah. You could argue LaMarcus was still maybe better and more integral to those teams, but Brandon Roy, when he was healthy, was amazing. And then then comes Dame, and Dame has his, uh, has his own kind of star power. And so LaMarcus always felt like that second guy on the team, and that, I think that's part of the reason why we never he never had a stint as just a true alpha number one, um, given his resume. I- it's interesting, right? Because the benchmark for, for me of like if a guy deserves to be in, and we talked about this a lot, especially when we did that episode of who who's like likely in from today's players. Um, 
and I should go back and look at what we what category we put Aldridge in, but um, Chris Webber's like the benchmark in my mind because he's not in, and he's five x All Star, five x All NBA. So on first glance, you say, okay, well, Lamarcus has kind of exceeded that, but Lamarcus had a lot of third teams, right? He was never one of the ten best players yeah. in the league. Maybe maybe one season, two seasons max. With Weber, he was the best player at his position in an era with Duncan, Nowitzki, and Garnett. And I don't think that we ever felt that same way about Aldridge. He was reliable, you know, the left block, the, the you know, over the right shoulder, like that, that was ingrained in all of our minds. And yeah, like you said, he was always kind of unassuming and Portland never did anything. San Antonio had yep. the one run if Kawhi did not get, um, you know, ambushed by Zaza Pachulia, who knows what could have been in that series. But other than that, even the Spurs teams were kind of on the decline by the time he got there. So we'll see. I mean, it was a great career, right, nonetheless. But I think he he kind of – you remember we talked about Chris Bosh being sort of – he's fortunate, right, yep. to have been an 11-time All-Star, two-time champ, and that's helped his candidacy. Aldridge is kind of unfortunate in the, in the same way in that he never got to play for those great teams. Yeah, and like I said, that's why. The Portland never really made that much noise. And it was yeah. not disappointing in the sense that they were expected to do so much more, but there was always yeah. hope that that team could have been better. And I'm look, look I'm pulling up your... Because do you have like it? LaMarcus hasn't been relevant in a while. I'm pulling up the NBA rankings. Me and you kind of emailed back and forth from 2016. So we're talking five years ago. And he doesn't even show up in the top 30 for either of us. So really, now, you know, it, it's it's funny because he's kind of been washed for a while or irrelevant for a while now, um, even though but he, he just made retired. the all-star team in San Antonio like two years ago. I know. So, like, I mean, he did have a kind of res- 19. He was an all-star. He had a mini resurgence. He did. Right? But yeah. I think in, well, we're talking about 2016. I don't know if he was injured that year, but I'm just looking at these rankings in my email. And uh, I think that was the year he uh, he made the switch to San Antonio and maybe we were just like, nah, this guy's out. I think that's yep. when he signed with the Spurs as a free agent. But that yeah, that might have been it. But I, I thought I thought that was funny. It's like All right. Second digression now from the Nets. Okay, so you don't have a concern. I have a I think I have a more of a concern than you. I think I mean dude, we both everyone and their moms picked the Clippers last year. Why do they fall apart? You could argue continuity, you could argue mental fortitude. But this team has more top end talent than that one. I know that's For, what you're forget about top end talent. The biggest problem with the Clippers that we harped on over and over again was they had no playmakers. They were a couple of elite wing talents, but they had no one to really initiate that offense. And you can only run Kawhi one on ones for that mid range shot so many times. Yeah. And the, the the difference with this Brooklyn team is they have a nice blend of talent. Not only do they have a lot of top end talent, you have Harden is fitting nicely into that playmaking role. Kyrie can do a little bit of it. You don't want him to be a primary playmaker. And then Kevin Durant, we haven't even seen these three guys play outside of, what, seven games? And When was the last time they played together? It, was it must have been like ago. in like January. I don't even February. remember what happened. Because I, I think Durant went down in February. Yeah. So, so look, I'm, I love the Sixers. I picked them before the season to go to the finals. I've been picking them on this pod still. But recently, I'm just I'm enamored of this Brooklyn team, man. I don't see any way. I think they're going to steamroll. I think they they lo- they beat Philly in six. You and I texted about this, but wouldn't this be one of the strangest titles um, in history? In that, from a bunch of different angles, one, they are just gifted 
a player of James Harden's caliber midseason, right? Not even midseason, earlier in the year. So they had a lot of time to play into, you know, that familiarity. But two, more importantly, they, sorry, let me say two is that they got a chance to just sign Durant and Kyrie an off season before. So they yeah. put these three guys together in a matter of like 18 months. At least usually one guy is there ahead of time, right? Whether it's Paul Pierce in Boston, Dwayne Wade in Miami, Steph Curry in, in Golden State, like somebody. Um, and then three, who would be happy if they won? The Nets have zero fans. Like like I said, I was just in New York. I didn't hear nobody gave a shit. Nobody was talking about them. They were talking about the Knicks making the playoffs. Like people were way more hyped about that. B, Durant is hated. Harden is hated. And while Kyrie might be loved by the younger generation, he's thought of as one of the weirdest dudes in the league and also kind of semi-hated. So I am so confused by this. This would be the most meh result of any finals of all time because – any super team we've ever looked at in the past either has its fanboys. You talk about the Golden State Warriors and they play the game the right way. Obviously, Golden State Warrior fans have been suffering for a long time. LeBron stands, MJ stands, all these dominant teams have their fanboys and they also have their haters. <coughs> People who despise them, rooting for them to lose. This Brooklyn team, like you said, they don't have fans. They also don't really have haters because... Right. Yeah, sure. People don't like the concept of three players teaming up, but it didn't feel as dirty as KD to the Warriors. It didn't feel. I, I will as hold on. Cheap. I think people are hating. I don't think so. I, I don't think they generate the same kind of hate and like t- people tuning in to watch them lose as the other teams. That's true. But that's also because of this weird. That's also because of this weird. Yes, I think there's a couple reasons for that. One, they haven't really played together, so it's usually just like one or two guys, and then it seems normal. But then two, um, I think also like without the fans, there's no one booing them in stadiums. Like when LeBron and the Heatles used to go around, like people's whole year was built around being able to go boo them. Right? That doesn't exist either, and I think that takes a little bit of the edge off, also. Or the Warriors. It's not like they were hated like the Heat, but. People were trying to dethrone them, right? When they were oh, 73 yeah. and 9, it was a big game because it's like, who can stop the Warriors? Who can get like one win against them? The uh, the Heatles felt wasn't... like true hate. The Warriors felt like this inevitable despair and 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 like and uh, but, but even before the KD Warriors, who were just unstoppable, the 73 and 9 Warriors were still kind of like when you see the 16 and 0 Patriots, where it's like who can stop them? Every team is going to take their best shot at them on any given yeah. night, but who can actually win? I thought that the 73 win, as much as I hated them and you hated them, I actually think they were a little bit more beloved because that was still a fully homegrown team. Um, so there were some, I mean, people hated Draymond and Steph shimmies and all that shit, but like Clay is one of the most, like, I don't know. I think yeah, the you have both. Cons- it's polarizing. Yeah. You have both. The fact is there's nobody stumping for these guys right now. I think that's the biggest thing. Like who's, yeah. Standing on the ledge or the pedestal being like, Kevin Durant is so underappreciated, blah, blah, blah. Like, everyone knows what Durant is at this point. He's a phenomenal talent who is just an oddball sensitive guy. And he just likes playing good basketball and doesn't care about, you know, how it's perceived. Well, I shouldn't say that. He does care about how it's perceived, but he doesn't care enough to change the way he would go about team building. And the Harden... Harden's biggest fans who were always in his camp were Rockets fans. They have no reason to root for him. Yeah. Kyrie's biggest fans were Cavs fans. They He left them on bad terms. 
Yeah. Mean, Durant had OKC. He didn't really fit in Golden State. So these guys don't even have fans. Um, yeah. Whereas a guy like LeBron is going to, you know, have his, uh, you know, Bron sexuals, whatever you want to call it, following him wherever he goes. Even a guy like Steph, he changes teams. There's going to be plenty of people who still rep Steph. For these sure. These guys are just, they're the personalities. They're kind of moody. They're, they're playing styles figures. for Harden. The playing styles. People don't like that. Um, you know, Kevin Durant on Twitter. There's so many reasons not Kyrie for his flat earth. Like they all have their weird quirks and reasons to hate them. So I don't know, man, no one's rooting for them. I, I think, but then if they played Lakers, you have to pick a side, right? Do you want LeBron? That would be my Lakers personal hell. One, or? I think that would actually be my personal hell. Cause I love Durant and I would want him to get one more, but this would feel almost as cheap if as the <laughs> Warriors title. Harden, I'm, you know, I've told you this many times. I'm a guy who likes greatness to not have too many holes in the armor. And therefore, Harden not having a title is kind of one. But Kyrie, and then we have to go through the whole fucking thing with him again about how he's really the guy that we should have been listening to all this time. And that would be a nightmare. I almost would be rooting for the Lakers if the fact remained that LeBron was going to be the GOAT following that title. If, you know if he it. had lost in the bubble, let's say... And he still only had three and he was, let's say he was three and seven. And then it was like safe that he could never like, let's say he lost the heat or something and it was safe that he could never get there. Then I think I'd be rooting for the Lakers. Oh, but you know, it's coming. You know, if he wins this, this is the greatest achievement in NBA history right after defeating three, three, one warriors. I don't know why we're not more worried about the Lakers. Honestly, like, I don't know why we count on AD just being healthy. Well, you know, one of the things Nail was talking about and, and the general sentiment is that the, the Lakers are slow playing this. It's not that they're hiding something and the injury is much worse than it looks. It's simply that they're biding time and they have no reason to force him back early. That's fine, but that phrase in itself is what's worrisome. If he was healthy, it wouldn't be a question of forcing him back. He would literally just be playing basketball, which is his profession. Yeah, but this is this is a LeBron team, right? They know that there's much more at stake than just, um, and they've shown that they can do it in the playoffs. What what do they need to kind of play? They've shown for? they can do it at Disney World. Can they do it in actual NBA stadiums? That remains to uh, be seen. Yeah, that's true. Can they can they do it when a Mickey Mouse championship's not on the line? <laughs> I want to talk about. Uh, let's quickly talk Wait, about I, the plane. I want before what? we leave the Nets. I, I want to talk about one last thing with Harden because I've what? gotten into some arguments with some of my friends uh, about Harden's label as a playoff choker. And and there's a school of thought that, okay, because Harden has not lived up to his, uh, you know, regular season potential in the playoffs, and he's had some moments where it felt like he let his team down. Is that something to worry about for Brooklyn this year? Like, is, is there yeah. something inherent to his game that you think that is a weakness for, for Brooklyn? The fact that Harden does not perform in the playoffs. I want to hear your thoughts. So, This is interesting because my first indication is no, because you have two guys who are proven playoff performers year after year, right? In in Duran and Kyrie. But the way I've watched Brooklyn's offense take shape, which is still kind of running a pseudo version of Houston's offense, but just supercharged all the parts around him. I do wonder what happens when he's missed his ninth step back three in a row. Um, But then again, you could just dump it to KD on the mid post block, and then he's going to go to work. So I don't think it's going to matter that much, but I do think it's a fair question because the offense has been running so much like what he's actually used to. 
um, that this would be a concern. Were you going to argue that he hasn't been a playoff choker and that's overblown? Because I've seen that argument pop up too. I'm going to argue that it's overblown for sure. And I think, look, he the numbers bared out. He's not had great postseason stretches, especially some of those closing games. But I think that's a product of being a team that only re- relies on him. Everything flows through him. He's gassed by the end of the season, by the end of the postseason. And when his teammates aren't hitting buckets and you're just his only move traditionally is just forcing those step back threes. They're not and you're not getting some of the fouls you normally get called. That all kind of adds up and is the reason he doesn't perform as well. I don't but I think on this Brooklyn team, I don't think those same issues are gonna crop up because he doesn't have to play the same way. He doesn't have to dribble, 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 step back three every possession. So he can kind of play within the flow of his game a lot more. And I think you won't see those same struggles. That's my argument. I I think stylistically they're more protected, right? Against a Harden let's not call it a choke job, a Harden uh, decline or diminished performance. But I don't know that uh, what I'm curious about, let's say is if you have a team like, let's say Brooklyn, sorry, sorry, uh, Milwaukee, who can match up pretty well defensively, like Drew and Middleton are their two best perimeter defenders who also happen to be their two best guards. Right. And you can take out Harden, make Kyrie a little uncomfortable like they did against, like, remember the Celtics playoff series from a couple of years ago, Kyrie's last time in Boston, they eviscerated him, right? Yep. So I think we can, we've can we seen that blueprint. The question I would have is, like, when it's not clicking, can you, is there another out other than Durant, or is that it? And maybe that's There's all Durant I mean. Durant and Kyrie. <laughs> but I'm saying Kyrie and, and Harden, maybe they get checked by Middleton and Drew. Yeah. Yeah, Middleton and Drew are good defensive players, but they're not going to completely take these guys out of their element. I, there's just too many options on offense that I don't. I would not worry about that. And we haven't even talked Joe Harris and, or Jeff. Yeah, and we've seen we've seen Harden struggle, but his most high profile struggles were against the Warriors, and we know no one was stopping those Warriors teams. And you can talk about oh, 2012, he didn't play well in the finals. Yeah, he was like his third year in the league. So, I think the Warriors one in 18 is a little bit more defensible, but he also did spearhead a team that went 0-27 from three after being up 10 at half. So, you know, at that point, it's like, okay, what's going on? But then the next year, remember Durant was out, and they were up three. They were down 3-2, and everyone was like, oh, wow, this is Harden's chance, blah, blah, blah. And Steph Curry annihilated him. He had 33 yep. in the second half to close it out in Houston. So then it's like, okay, what are we doing? Yeah, but Steph Curry is an all-time great. The game right before that, which uh, I think it was game four, game five, I went to, I was in Houston. I watched that game in the arena, and Harden went berserk and hit a clutch. Yeah, I mean, that's why his numbers overall are fine. But it's like these moments, like when they lost that elimination game to San Antonio in round two when Kawhi didn't even play and someone else didn't play. It was just Ginobili blocked him on that three, like – there's a bunch of these types of things when when they made that huge comeback for us, the Chris Paul Clippers, he was on the bench, remember? Yeah, I remember that. So that was bad. that's the thing. It's like the numbers will bear it out that he hasn't been that much worse, but there's too many he's, like moments. He's had his moments, but I think it's just too easy. When you take Harden out of his game, you game plan for him in a seven-game series, the rest of those Houston teams, who's what, you're going to expect P.J. Tucker to generate some offense for you? And, and Chris Paul was good, but Chris Paul also... <laughs> That team had a ceiling that was capped because of the Warriors. Plus, that was pre-plant-based diet, Chris Paul. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Which is true. true. 
Which is true. Before yeah, Impossible Burgers were just being shoved down his throat left and right. That was a different version. <laughs> that was Cliff Ball. Um, yeah. All right. Let's quickly talk about the play-in tournament here because I know you guys touched on this, but <laughs> recent developments have now led to the Wizards being like right on the precipice of making this goddamn thing, and I couldn't be more upset. Um, <laughs> I almost got a Cade Cunningham jersey ordered like two weeks ago. Now I'm trying to get Franz Wagner, trying to see if they'll sw- switch it before they ship. We fucked it up. We're only a game back of Chicago, who's in the 10 spot. We're probably too far from Indiana, right? So it's like nine and up are pretty much locked. And then the next three teams, Toronto, Washington, and and uh, Chicago are all within a game. Zach Levine and, and Nikola Vucevic has not worked. They're three and eight since the trade deadline with some bad, bad losses, uh, including um, last night. I think at home versus Orlando and it's just announced that Levine's going to be out for multiple games due to COVID protocols. So the 10 seed is there for the taking. It looks like as of now, if things were to end, it would be Miami versus let's say Washington, which I, cause I do think they might finish <laughs> there. And then Charlotte, sorry, Miami versus Charlotte seven, eight, and then Indiana, Washington. So I still think we lose that game, but I'm so upset at this damn team because this was the chance with the top five the way it is to add a generational talent. So what, what are your thoughts on how this is shaken out? I You know, fives through nine are very close, so those could also switch around by the time we get started. Well, l- let me get you excited. Let me get you excited. All right, so the Knicks are only half game ahead of the Heat. Mm-hmm. They could slip down to seven. Um, and so now all of a sudden you have a Knicks and Hornets matchup, and then Pacers, let's say the Wizards get to that 10 seed. Um, you can beat the Wizards can beat the Pacers. Pacers have not been playing well. And then it's you have to face the loser of the Knicks and Hornets. You're telling me the Wizards can't win that game? Wait. If Beal is the superstar he is, they should be able to waltz right into the, the playoffs. I don't want to win that game. I don't I know, want I know. to. I know you don't want to be in the play and you want a top five, a bottom five seed or top five seed, sorry, um, in the draft. But you want me to you want you want Robin Lopez to be the sacrificial lamb laid at the feet of Joel Embiid in round one. That's look, what would look, happen if we do this thing that you're saying. All I'm saying is all of a sudden you're in the playing game, you win a game, you're like, oh cool, you get into the eight seed, you're a little excited, but then you're like, all right, we're gonna get smoked by the Sixers. Then you win game one behind a crazy bill performance, and I know it, you're gonna be hyped, DC forever, all this stuff. Before you lose the next four, that's that's exactly how I'm envisioning this playing out. Opening night, we started versus Philly, and we very nearly won. I could see that definitely happening yeah. again. <laughs> I will say, if we're in the playing game, as much as I'll be upset, I would be super excited to just watch because I think Dude, it would just be a fun elimination thing. game. Yeah, at yeah. that point, you don't it, care about the draft picks; you just want to win that game. Yeah, at that point, you're just like, okay, we could have had a generational superstar, but. It's fine. Like we can beat Indiana tonight and move on to round yeah, two. Yeah, it, it'll I, feel like a that. game seven, except you're playing the Pacers for the right to maybe get the eighth seed in the playoffs. I can't believe um, Miami is still in the playing mix because they started playing a lot better. They got Jimmy Butler back, and now they've kind of regressed again. They've yeah, they got they've, spanked by Denver last night. You know, they've been up and down. I know they had Vic, they traded for Victor Oladipo, then he immediately got hurt, but they didn't give up anything, right? It's not like they change their nucleus to get him so this is still the same team um what what's going on with them are they just not maybe they're just not that good right and like they had a crazy like cinderella type run they're just not that good 
they had a Cinderella tie. I mean, they are a good team, but I I think it it's going to be hard to replicate what they did last year and um but it's a team built for the postseason. Like with Bam and Jimmy Butler, those are guys that you would love to have in a playoff series. So I'm not as concerned about the seeding. I think even if they're a seventh seed and they're playing Brooklyn in the first round, they're going to give Brooklyn a little bit of trouble. They're not going to win. But that is not a team Brooklyn wants to see. They're much more hoping that the Knicks fall to seven. Yeah. Because the so, Knicks, so the, as hard as they play, they just don't have the firepower. Th- there's just so much jostling, man. You look at seeds four through nine are separated by three games so yeah exactly everything's gonna look different by the end of the season and like one hot stretch like atlanta went from like 11 to four because they fired their coach and went on like a one month tear you know yeah and boston's on a tear now right and yeah boston's starting to play really well they might win five in a row they should beat uh they're up 12 right now against the lakers they should win that game um tristan thompson has 14 points which is of note to me but um, so oh, we so we're doing the spreads thing. Tell tell the listeners about the spreads thing because I actually think this is a cool idea. I just joined up, so yeah. So we have a weekly game. Uh, some of my friends and now pulled Nitin into it as well, where we pick ten games a week. It's usually the nationally televised games, um, and usually it's about you know two games a day on average, and the you have to pick who's going to cover just the spread for every single game and put a confidence level on it. And so the confidence level can be between one through 10, but you can only use every number once. So for example, if the Boston's playing the Lakers tonight and I'm really confident in Boston covering, I might want to put a seven on that. And if there's a game that I'm not as confident about, I'll put a two or something lower. And if I hit, if I'm correct and Boston covers, I get seven points. If I'm wrong, I get zero. And so essentially, it's like we're we're playing spreads against all the 10 games a week. But instead of betting it through a um, DraftKings or FanDuel or Bovada, we're competing amongst ourselves to see who can get the most points by the end of the week. Um, and whoever gets the most points, the losers all have to kind of pay them a certain amount. And so it's, it's just a way we've been kind of uh, keeping track of all the games and and betting on every single game without actually betting on them individually. So what I like about this format, and I just thought of this randomly, I made you put you on the spot here is because the Celtics <laughs> Lakers are, are part of this 10 slate, 10 game slate, right? What I like about it is we follow the national TV lineup. And so even if you don't have league pass, or even if like you're not in a place that you can pull that up, just having the game on, and it's always going to be on TV, right? Because the ones that we're that, that we're putting it on. What I don't like is the confidence rating because it puts me <laughs> in a mental pretzel. If I'm like like last night, I was positive without Durant, without Harden, that the Sixers were going to blow out the Nets, and they did for 46 out of the 48 minutes. And somehow it ended up a six point game, and the Nets were of course you know underdogs by seven. So that part's really fun and challenging and and hurtful again in my Venmo account, but. Everything else, I think I, I actually like this version. It's like a cool way to stay active, but then it also doesn't settle up like day to day. You can always make a comeback. You can always make a comeback. Um, and because you bet between one and 10 on different games, if you hit a 10, you can suffer a couple other losses, but you got to be mm-hmm. sure about that 10. Yeah. I bet 10 on the Mavs uh, yesterday versus, who are they playing? Um, 
the Mavs the were playing the uh, or day before yesterday. They played the yeah. Grizzlies, and I needed the Mavs to cover two and a half. They were down two with one point whatever seconds left. I was like, great if they can at least hit a two pointer here. We go into overtime. I buy Man, myself some more time. They can cover. Luca hits that ridiculous shot. I'm like, oh my god, I lost this. Mavs only one by one. But then there's a glimmer of hope where it's like, wait, did he step on the line? Yes or no? And I'm hoping maybe he did. It's only a two-pointer. We're going into overtime. But of course, Luca, being just the brilliant basketball savant he is, right that behind the line, un- hits the that game. That was an unreal shot. That was, I mean, it was probably like 75% luck. But to have the balance, the coordination, the release point, because it was kind of like a smooth release, that was crazy. It was, it was, and King's Twitter, man, every time, if the Kings lose at the same time Luca does something amazing, it is a just, oh, it's a hellhole. Everyone is so sad, depressed. It's just, it's bad to be a Kings fan right now. It's like me watching uh, crypto prices while I'm looking at my shitty (laughs) pandemic stocks that are just going only one way and it's not up. It's the same thing. If, If Bitcoin or Ethereum has a huge jump right as, right as Lemonade takes another dive. Um, it's just sadness in my household. And the I've difference is, if it's it's as if someone else bought those for you, and you were telling them no to to invest in Bitcoin, Ethereum, and they said no, 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 no. Trust me, Lemonade, and it backfires on you. Also, so it's as if I couldn't just go get it now. It's like I yeah, couldn't go get it now. It's like you yeah, just I, can't I, sign Luca whenever you want. I wish we could. There are the things I would give up for Luca, man. I'm telling you. So um, speaking of Luca, as crazy as he's been, Dallas is only in the seventh seed, right? You know, talking about the play-in tournament on the other side, they've, you know, he's been amazing, but they've had so many COVID and injury issues. They're they're a game back of Portland, and but three and a half back of LA, and it sounds like Anthony Davis is going to come back pretty soon. So how do you see the West picture shaping up? Like, if I had to put put the play-in aside for a second, if I said over under teams that you genuinely honestly believed could win the championship or could come out of the West, let's say. And I said over under two and a half. What would you say? Under easy under really? Yeah. Clippers Lakers. That's it. I I don't take the sun seriously. I don't take the jazz seriously. Nuggets. I did take seriously until they lost Murray. So it's two. So pre Murray injury. And I said two and a half, you would say over. Yeah. And why no Phoenix? Come on, man! Really, Phoenix? Well, I mean, you're, you're uh, campaign is gonna uh, is gonna come through in the playoffs. Why for this does team. campaign have to be the guy? He's like their eleventh man. Because the reason that they're so good is all their depth, right? I don't think when you put their seven man rotation, eight man rotation, you got guys who've never played in the playoffs. You got Booker, Aiden. You trust these guys? I don't. Booker's a gamer, dude. I know he hasn't played in the playoffs, but he was built for this moment. But, but what's the path for the Suns beating the Lakers in a seven-game series? Well, one of the Lakers and Clippers... So the path is the Clippers fall to four or the Lakers fall to six. And they play round one and the Clippers win. That's the path. Because I yeah. don't think the Suns can beat the Lakers, but I think they can beat the Clippers, who, like I've mentioned multiple times, we've crowned them as some type of peer with the Lakers. The franchise themselves, forget Paul George and Kawhi. Have you seen Clippers. how Paul George has been playing? He's been playing awesome. But forget forget the current iteration. The whole franchise has never made it to the conference finals. So forgive me if I'm not ready to be like, yeah, it's Lakers, Clippers, Tier 1, and then everyone else, Tier 2. 
But yeah, but that being you're, said, you're like, talking about the Phoenix the Suns. You're talking about a, the, the franchise that hasn't been sniffed the conference finals in over ten years. So it's not like yeah, the Clippers have never been there, but it's not like the Suns are a, a regular, you know, presence there either. Yeah, they're not. But I just mean like I don't know that. Okay, Kawhi's had a lot of playoff experience and obviously done it at the top stage in a way that even Chris Paul hasn't. But I would say Chris Paul still has playoff experience, right? It's still something he's been actively like a participant on. Yeah, but he's also not been known for, uh, and he's had his own playoff, not shortcomings, because he's always played well. He's always played well, but he hasn't, you know, taken a team further than it should have gone. He's had major gaffes. He's had major gaffes, right? He was part of that collapse that I just told you when we were talking about Harden sitting out versus the Clippers. (laughs) He was on the other side. So Um, so tell me this. Tell me this. If right now the um, Suns would play the Mavs in round one, how shocked would you be? No, but between one and ten, how shocked would you be if Dallas won that series? Are you telling me you'd be more than a six or a seven? I was gonna say seven. I don't know if I'd be that shocked. I'd be a five. Because that's that's also the greatness I ascribe to Luca. Because he almost shit. He almost beat the Clippers last year single-handedly when Cor- Porzingis went out. I know, but if if the Clippers could just easily go down in the first round to the Mavs, like how seriously can you take them? I mean. The Lakers lost game one versus Portland, and Charles Barkley had them packing their bags. Nah, I'm not saying losing game one. I'm saying losing the series. In terms of teams I'm afraid of, so to speak, I guess I'm not a fan of any of these teams, but in terms of like who I think will win the title, I think the Lakers stand alone as a clear one, and I actually put Utah, Phoenix, and Clippers in the next tier. I put Lakers in tier one, Clippers in tier two, Utah, Phoenix, tier three. And like, I think there's, I think there's levels to it. And this version of Denver, you would put below Utah Phoenix, even with Jokic. No, no, I'd put them. I'd put Denver with the Clippers in tier two. It'd be oh, this oh, version without of Denver, Murray, without Murray, oh, without, without Murray, I'd put him in tier three at the bottom of that tier. The only reason I have hope for the Nuggets is they are about to sign Austin Rivers. Now, um, it's because Michael Porter Jr. has taken his game to the next level. But, but the reason he's playing so well is because he's not asked to do as much. He's actually playing very within himself, and he's playing a super efficient game. Now, without Murray, they're going to need someone to take up that scoring load. They're already getting the most they can out of Jokic. It's, it's going to be Murray. It's going to be Aaron Gordon. Do you guys want do you want these guys creating shots <laughs> down the stretch? The funny thing is Aaron Gordon's now going to be asked to go back to his Orlando role, his Orlando which is like days. the exact thing he was like, I need to get out of this situation. Like they're gonna need a, a bucket down. Like that's what Murray was so good for in the playoffs. He, he Monty Morris is the best backup point guard in the league. Yeah, but Monty Morris is a, is a nice player. He's got a low ceiling. <laughs> He's like Monty Morris isn't going off for twenty five and, and ten in a game. But can Jokic up his usage? Can he take twenty five shots a game and still maintain his efficiency? Maybe, but I think Jokic is also like this season. He's put in. I think it may take a toll on him by the end of it because he's never had this kind of offensive burden. He's playing every game. He's playing heavy minutes. Yeah. I, I don't know, man. It's, it's going to be hard. Speaking of which, speaking of all of those things, Steph Curry has been unreal this year, right? How how insane is it that the Warriors are still not in the top eight? He's basically putting up peak MVP Steph level numbers and the Warriors can't even sniff one of these eight seeds. It speaks to how good the West is, and it speaks to one one thing I've always said about Steph is that as great as – look, he's amazing, 
But the kind of player he is, I think he carries a ceiling for his team. He's not a floor raiser like a... I think if you're a wing, if you're a LeBron, if you're a Kawhi, but honestly, even guys like AD and Russell Westbrook, they've climbed into an eight or seven seed. So I'm not saying, Steph, we should hold that against them, but it is kind of interesting that I know that I, Warriors I totally team is disagree. Bad. I totally disagree. I know, I know. This is me trying to be controversial, I, but... Listen, it's, it's weird, man, year, to be putting up those numbers and not to make the playoffs. Every single year, Steph is always like in the top five and plus minus, right? For whatever that's worth. The fact that his team isn't that good and he's still, you know, let me tell you something right now. When he plays, they're plus 11 uh, per 100 possessions. When he sits, they are plus 0.8. So they're 10 points better per 100 possessions when he plays versus not. That's one of the highest numbers in the league, that differential. So the fact is, you can't even muster... Like, you're an average team when he's gone, and he's been hurt a couple games here and there. But the reality is, if if you can't muster that, then you can't be a good team. You're exactly what they are, which is a 500 team. And to, so to give you context, for example, like, if you look at LeBron's, he's exactly the same. 10.9 points better when he plays versus when he sits. It's a similar kind of impact. Year after year, he's always up there. I just think his team sucks. Yeah, his team, look, I'm not trying to discredit Curry. He's been absolutely phenomenal. He is an unreal talent. All I'm saying is that I don't think he carries as high of a floor as a lot of other superstars in that range. That's all. He doesn't carry as high of a floor. Whether you know, it's his fault or not, it, that's irrelevant. You know what's secretly a good thing for this team is James Wiseman getting hurt. Like, I don't mean him actually getting hurt. I just mean him not playing, let's say. Because they were awful yeah. when he played with Steph and Draymond because he just didn't know what to do. And, like, you could see him. He's totally lost on defensive assignments. And that shit doesn't sit well with Draymond, right? And so the fact that he's out, if you look at Curry and Green without Wiseman, they're, like, night and day different than when he plays. So I think that's actually part of the reason, no no, no lie, that they've been better recently. I, I watched a good amount of Wiseman this year. And I, I feel like he reminds me so much of Marvin Bagley. In that <laughs> Not a good side. No, no, no. But the tools – here's the one key difference. Wiseman has no confidence whatsoever. The moment something goes bad, it spirals out of control for him. And you can see it on his face. Marvin Bagley has too much confidence. And that gets him into trouble as well because he just sometimes spams the same moves and it doesn't work. But with Wiseman, I agree. I think it's better for this Warriors team because he wasn't helping them win, but they felt the need to play him because he's a number two pick, because he is seen as part of the future. And this makes the decision easy. And I think it saves the fan base from there's so much scrutiny over Kerr and, and how they're handling Wiseman's minutes and when he plays, when he doesn't. Now it solves that problem. Yeah. Um, for for what it's worth, um, 538 has the Warriors uh, making the playoffs um, as look, the eighth seed. The, the, even if they don't make the eighth seed, are you picking against Steph in a single elimination game? Steph and Draymond? I wouldn't. Depends. Are they playing... Dallas or Portland, then maybe because they have an equal killer on their teams. They wouldn't. They wouldn't play. Uh, actually, they could play Portland. Yeah, Portland's I mean, only two and a half games. A, or one. Either game Dallas or Portland is likely going to be in the play-in tournament, right? Yeah, one of them will be, and then and then the Memphis other three are going to be Memphis, Golden State, and San Antonio, or Pelicans. Pelicans, if they go, but they're they're so inconsistent. Like the moment they were kind of streaking, all of a sudden they had a setback. 
Yeah. And well, Lonzo's uh, been out. I mean, not that that's a huge deal, but you know, I was even watching them. Uh, who do they play? They played the Knicks a couple nights ago, right? Or last night. And I was watching and Zion. It, it's so frustrating because he is reaching the stage of his career, which is very, very early for to, for to be here, but he's automatic. Yeah. Like, he gets anything he wants. He's running the point now. He's finding guys. He's in control while playing at that level of ferocity and athleticism. And then Brandon Ingram will just like freeze him out like three straight possessions. Or Kyra Lewis will just try to think that he's the next coming of De'Aaron Fox out here and just go nuts. And it's like, dude, can you pass the ball to Zion, please? Like, <laughs> can he touch it every possession? And they'll down the stretch, they'll just go cold. And it's just a result of them not feeding you know, one of the best players in the league at this point, the ball. Like he's a top 15 player in the league already. I think he's all NBA for sure. He is. I've done a 180 on, I think early in the season, I was kind of, you were, I, I, I I talked trash about Zion. I was like, I I don't see it. And, but I mean, to his credit, he also has become so much better over the course of the season. And they've unlocked something playing him at this kind of point forward position. Um, and Ingram, I don't know this. I don't think this fit works. I think they need to get rid of Ingram. I think you got to commit to Zion. Ingram is the problem is he's too good to kind of relegate to a completely secondary role. And that's the issue they face in crunch time. Yeah. They need to just, I, I think, retool that roster and just realize that build everything around this new Zion offense that they like to run. He's also too, um, ISO dependent. Like, Ingram's game is great and he's gotten so much better, but he needs like, it's not just that he needs shots and he needs the ball. He he's like a ball stopper. Yeah. They're not running. They're not running a lot of Zion Ingram actions. It's either Ingram is going ISO or, you know, you're trying to have Zion create. So, so, so let me ask you this um, because not to concoct an Ingram trade on the spot here, but like what type of player you think, of a similar caliber. So you can't just be like, Oh, well he should play with LeBron. Like what type of player fits the mold of the right guy next to Zion? So that's, I don't know because Zion is so unique. Yeah. Um, Cause that's not what I'm having problem with. Cause like a lot of people he, uh, talk about Beal. I think Beal would have the same issues Ingram's having. Cause I don't think, I don't think Zion is, he's playing this role where he's kind of, uh, playing from up top, driving down, and he can find an open shooter, and he's doing a decent job passing. But I also don't think the solution is surround Zion with shooters, like he's Luka, right? Um, and so I, I don't know what the ideal fit with him is. It's Maybe you need someone who plays a little bit more like a Drew Holiday, a guard that's a little... <laughs> they just had Drew Holiday. <laughs> I know, but... I, I mean, the best player you can come up with in all of these situations that's just unfortunately not available is like prime clay, right? He's always like yeah. the best indication of like, okay, this is a guy. Um, oh, how about CJ McCollum? CJ McCollum could be really nice. He, I don't uh, know if he, he fits their timeline, but he's uh, he he can create, but he doesn't need to. He can kind of play a little bit more off ball. Well, I would argue Zion's timelines right now. Like, I think you can win with him now. Yeah, then so CJ, case, I think, CJ I think Portland needs to explore blowing that up. They, they can't keep running back Dame and CJ year after year. No, they can't. I think it's uh, it's clear that I think this year they're 29th in defense, 5th in offense, and that's just a 
yearly thing that we go through. And they yep. get to the playoffs and Dame is too small and CJ, <laughs> you know, he misses time. He He's inconsistent. And so we're going to have this problem like over and over again. Um, and, and we talked about this, maybe that's okay. Right. Like this is one of their best franchise players ever. They don't know how to win a title with Dame. Maybe that's okay. Maybe it's not possible. So let's just have the most fun when the most gotta games try. Can. You got to try. They have been trying. But yeah, the last thing that they have not done is move CJ. No, but the, we've always known one of the core issues with that team is that Dame and CJ, as great as they are, your two best players in the backcourt, you're better off maybe trying to get a different type of asset for, for CJ while he has a lot of value. That's what, my opinion. You've run this back for how many years? Six, seven years? Like, what There's so many guys he's always been rumored to be traded for. Aaron Gordon, Kevin Love, um, you know, others that they were just like fit the mold of like a bigger player. And it's just never actually happened. Now I don't know what, what the what the like plan like, is. What's the worst case? You trade for another star, it backfires, and instead of the five seed, you're a six seed. Like you're you're not gonna all of a sudden not become a playoff team with Dame there. But it at least gives you the chance of being something better. I like what the Rockets did last season with the Westbrook Harden experiment clearly didn't work out. But I'm totally of that philosophy of swing for the fences if something's not working and just shake things up for the sake of shaking things up and it may end you in the same place you were before but at least you tried something different well i guess that's that's something they're gonna have to reckon with because they're gonna have another early playoff exit so all right anything else on the west picture no man i mean i think the most at one point what nail and i were talking about last week was the conundrum of three, four, and five were so bunched up that it looked like the Clippers, Nuggets, or Lakers, two of those teams are going to have to face off in the first round, mm-hmm. which would be incredible. Either you get a Clippers, Nuggets um, rematch, or you get Lakers, Clippers, which you never got, or you get Lakers, Nuggets. Like Either way, you're going to win. And it's kind of sad that now Denver is yeah. not going to be that same juggernaut. They may fade, so that first round matchup may not be what it was. Yeah, that's a huge bummer. Um, I think it can still be good. I think Denver is still good enough to to put up a fight. I don't know that I would pick them against either, but I don't know yeah. that I would pick them against either with Jamal Murray. So that's a tough position. Um, well, Clippers, Clippers, Nuggets. With if it was Jamal Murray was there, yeah, that would be crazy. Um, but then but the it's other looking thing, looking like the Clippers are going to settle into three at this point. So yeah, especially because they've they've been starting to play really really well. Um. All right, that's it. What else is going on in life? Anything else? Should we end the podcast? <laughs> no, man. We just we we just got the Instagram account going again. Oh yeah, I, follow us on all Instagram. kinds of likes on on Twitter. You know. So I get in arguments up. often on Twitter, but I'm like really civilized because that's just you know the kind of guy I am. And uh, people say some mean shit to me back. You know, well, I people, see. I see what you're trying to do. You're trying to use the thick and thin hoops as your burner account, and it, essentially, that's where it you're is my burner. Your, you're like, what do I want to not attach my name to that I could just throw out there? John um, Wall, Hall of Famer. Yes, no. Please respond and retweet to vote. John Wall is still better than Kyrie. Like, remember that hill that you were stubbornly on for the longest time? He may be in the most depressing basketball situation right now. He basically takes 30 shots a game, makes like eight of them, and they lose by 25 every night while Christian Wood sends him like 68 dirty looks. It's a pretty amazing situation going on in Houston. What's Wall House's attitude? Have you seen any post-game press conferences? 
Is he's he... positive, man. He said that you know a lot of people thought he was going to sit out, but that he loves the city, he loves the team, he wants to play. The guy didn't play for two years. Why would he sit out some more? <laughs> who who thought he would play more games this year than Kevin Durant? I know, right? No one would have ever predicted that. I'm looking at John Wall's Instagram just to see, you know, trying to get a sense of his mood, his latest post, and it's of course unrelated to basketball. My style, my rules. Have a good one. He's the know. best in the world at talking shit when he's five for 19. <laughs> Nobody else can do it as confidently as him. But, but uh, right. yeah. That's a wrap. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Thick and Thin on all major podcast platforms. Please follow us on Twitter and Instagram. I think the handle on both are Thick and Thin Hoops. So the N is still the letter N because as we changed the ampersand, that wasn't really possible in the handles. You guys know the situation. Please email us at thickandthinhoops at gmail.com. Also the N, no ampersand. Um, And we will talk to you next week.